With nearly every success, there is a line of failures and setbacks, sometimes a very long line. Many of those stories get condensed into pithy journeys that minimize the struggle. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azale comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about triumph and disaster that Mark's guests faced and how they overcame the adversity to shine. Now, here's your host, Mark Azale. Welcome to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azulite. I'm sitting here with Randy Bonham. So, Randy, we also met at the Worst Treatment Center in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> For those of you that have been listening, we interviewed yeah. Melissa earlier on, and she worked with oh, us. Oh, right. Yes, she did. And, I mean, I think we bonded immediately there. You have an incredible, just existential way of thinking and spiritual way of thinking. You know, I learned that you were a part of a Lakota sweat lodge community, mm-hmm. and I think I visited one of those maybe you know, in the first couple of months, several times, yeah, several times. And it really just blew my mind. It's the way you and your wife live your life, you know, the amount of openness you have, the amount of just um, reverence, I think, for the world and for everything around you. So I'm really excited to have you on the show to, you know, have a question of like, where did that come from? You know, how did you get to where you were to where you are now? Okay, great question. And it helps quiet down the waterfall of words that are coming down the inside of my skull. Because uh, when Mark first asked me to be on the show, you know, and describe the project to me, I thought, uh, well, you know, defeat to triumph from the ashes to where you are now. Um, well, that'll be easy to put into words, but not necessarily less than 50,000 words. Um, and in preparing for today, I realized that my From the Ashes story really has gone in waves, in cycles. And so to be as entertaining as possible, because otherwise, why would you out there in radio land be listening to this and uh, not turn it into some kind of a lecture or webinar or anything like that? Um, We're going to stick with story. And we're going to jump in the middle of the story because when you think about it, that's what we all do. Mm -hmm. Um, As human beings, man, we are story people. We feed our spirits and our hearts on stories. Um, Some of our favorites are Marvel adventures. Um, Anything with really exciting music and lots of explosions. But everybody is living their own legend, uh, quite literally. And we always jump in, in the middle of the story. You know, when you think about it, when we pop into planet Earth, we're already part of a story that's been going on for a really long time. And hopefully, and ideally, it's a story that will continue long after we pick planet Earth and head on to the next destination whatever that is. So, racing through the first 20 years of my life, um, aspects of this, I think, are going to be really familiar to a lot of people. So, we'll be able to race through it. Um, I was born and raised in the Midwest, Midwestern United States. And it was 50s and 60s okay, to give historical perspective. My parents were really good people, and 
certainly gave me a better upraising than they themselves had to go through. But it was still a time of repression, um, especially internal repression. And it was a time where we were all taught that conformity and winning through competition and having to earn everything uh, was really the cultural template, okay? Um, I think a lot of people lived their whole lives in those generations not daring to ask the question of earn my right to be here from who or get the boxes checked and be able to buy my ticket from who, you know, who were we in service to? Um, who was our personal big kahuna? Who were we worshiping? So my story begins growing up in a decent home. Um, I never really had hungry days. Um, we were not rich people, but I was never worried about being evicted from the apartment or anything like that. So I really experienced an internal disharmony because again, we're all living our story, right? And mine did not seem to fit the cultural template. And I explored the way different people lived and got a variety of different kinds of friends. And it all came down to the same thing. Here's what was going on in the world. Here's what was going on inside me. I didn't understand a lot of what was going on in the world. And I could not fit in. You know? In fact, the real problem was I couldn't talk myself into wanting to fit in to that culture at the time. When you're a 12 year kid, 12 year old kid, this is a real problem. Okay, so getting up on the screen here, I can always get louder, trust me. Um, so confused and unhappy and repressed and suppressed and not very expressed about age 12, 13. Um, at age 14, I discovered alcohol. Now, for those of you who have taken a walk through that neighborhood, you'll understand what I mean when I say I discovered alcohol. For real. It wasn't the first time I encountered it. It was, wow, I don't feel very good. And, you know, I got depression. I got anxiety. I just, I was 14. Mm -hmm. I don't feel very good. The world sucks. I apparently suck too. And here's this magic elixir that I take in and it balances my insides. I get to be calm and imaginative. And most of all, I get this feeling of support and hope for really the first time in my life. You know, well, I can, I can live in this world. Mm -hmm. You know, I can figure all this stuff out. I want to feel like this all the time. Yeah. I want to feel like this all the time yeah. because I felt balanced and sane. I felt like I thought everybody else did. 
and I just hadn't. So now I had a plan. I lived in the United States of America, which manufactured whiskey 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they were never going to stop. I've got it made. Okay. So graduated from high school, had a lot of different adventures, went to college, got a degree in psychology. And that was a pivotal moment in my journey toward my crash and burn, as well as the template for my triumph. Because in those days, um, the prevailing orientation in science and especially psychology was if you want to understand something, you need to kill it, put it in a stationary position, take it apart, mm -hmm. don't necessarily worry about putting it back together again, label all the parts, and now you understand the butterfly or the family unit or or the human mind. In those days, um, if you could get a bunch of pigeons and rats and make them do what you wanted them to do, then you had learned about human behavior. If that's the truth, that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. Like dissect and analyze. Exactly. Yeah. And at that point in my life, I realized that uh, there was something really important missing here. I didn't realize it at the time, but what was missing was the bigger picture that made everything else made, make sense. I identified with the pigeons in psychology's experiments, you know, who were in this confined space, were taught to do fancy things for a pigeon, and they never got a chance to fly. Hmm. I wondered if they even remembered that they were supposed to be able to fly. So I really wanted to learn about human beings and fortified with my biochemical diet, <laughs> you know, I decided that if I really wanted to learn about life and human beings, I needed to not go to grad school. I needed to go out and get a job. You need to talk to human beings. Yeah. 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 And it was honest mm -hmm. and basic. You know, I wasn't playing some kind of an artificial game. I will swing this hammer for you for eight hours a day. You will pay me this much money. We're good. Right. And so that's what I did for the next couple of decades, actually. And it served me well. Um, I've talked to people who said, oh, you started drinking when you were 14 and using drugs at 15 and alcoholic at 16 and they get this dismayed face, right? But you got to remember, this was how I was coping from a history of childhood trauma, um, mental illness that wasn't even called mental illness at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, when I grew up, 17-year-olds weren't anxious or depressed. They just needed to shape up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Man up, toughen up. Right. Get over it. So um, I got a series of colorful blue-collar jobs. I got to work on the Milwaukee Railroad. I worked construction, drove a variety of trucks. And 
realized that as long as I had some money in my pocket and a valid ID, since I didn't have any aspirations for a career, I didn't want to own a home. I had hopes for a sweetheart, but I hadn't figured that out yet. So, you know, um, that I really didn't have to work all the time. I could explore the United States of America and see if there was a path that I could really plug into, you know, with my heart and my spirit, not even having that language yet. So I wanted to be known that I had some really good times. Um, I got to play and see a lot of live music. I got to experience what people talk about, um, the romance of the road. I did a lot of hitchhiking. Um, when I had a car, I did a lot of driving, right? And that was incredibly comforting to me because the American highway system never closes. Um, there are really no checkpoints. There's toll roads, but if you don't pay the toll, it's not like somebody chases you, you know. I got to explore a lot of different cultures, different kinds of people, um, stayed very high and earned my own way. And you might be thinking out there in Radio Land, this isn't really much of an end game strategy, Randy. And I got to remind you that um, I had kind of given up on fitting in, you know, I saw through the illusion of working hard for 20 years so that I could live my life for however long I had after the age of 62. And at the rate I was consuming substances and the life I was living, I didn't figure I'd make it past 30 anyway. Right. There was no end game. Yeah. Right. You weren't considering the end this, game. This was the end game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I hit 30 and I didn't die. This was an epiphanal moment for me. <laughs> this was like, oh man, none of my vision goes past here. And I had realized that I really couldn't keep doing what I was doing for another five, 10, 15 years. And I had found a girl who seemed to accept me enough for us to get married, you know, a vision for the future was taking shape with or without me. So here's the part that begins to explain the sense of reverence that Mark described. Okay. I needed to get sober. Um, okay. AA had no financial demands. So a way to shorten this up. I jumped on the AA path, which is a spiritual path. And I didn't have a spirituality of my own. Um, didn't like the idea. So I struggled with that for a while until one night I was finishing up my bottle for the evening and suddenly had a vision of not me dying, but me continuing to live. Mm -hmm. 
what if this went on for another five years? Oh my God, what if this went on for another 10 years? Ugh. And that terrified me. So I said the first real prayer that I believe I'd ever said in my life. It was short and rude. And I'll share this with you. And then we'll move on to the next section. The prayer went like this. Okay, God, whoever and whatever you are, if you're out there and you have any interest in my life whatsoever, please get me through a day without a drink and I'll try and face whatever happens. Wow. And then I walked my dog down the alley and polished off my bottle and went to bed. And the next day, I didn't drink. I had somehow locked into a bigger picture because I hadn't gotten smarter or stronger or felt better or anything. The only thing that had changed was that rather pathetic and rude prayer. And that was the beginning of moving into a life that connected me to a bigger picture, to the earth, to other people's hearts and spirits, to a journey that ended up in a place that I did belong. And I felt like fitting in. I love hearing that. You know, I love that prayer that comes with, you know, the pain, you know, and the directness and this level of desperation. But it sounds like it's coming from connecting to something that's more compassionate, right? Yeah. Because it's greater God figures, it's greater higher power, you know, what I guess eventually becomes your spiritual path. Mm -hmm. And it's just wild to imagine you there, you know, on your knees praying, you know, really begging for one day. Yeah. Right. Just one more day. Yeah. I need the visible sign. Right. Grant me this. Right. Like, just give me this and then I'll know. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about your story in the second segment. Okay. It's been great to hear it so far. I think it'll be a real treat for our guests to hear um, what it was like as you developed past that, right? And you got more into AA and started learning about yourself and learning about the world. For those of you out there, um, please check us out on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Please like us on social media. It's Mark M. Asley at everything. And we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are the experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azalay.teachable.com. That's mark 
marc-azoulay.teachable.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azalea. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azalea.com. Now back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to From Your Ashes. I'm From Your Ashes, From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azalea. I'm sitting here with Randy Bonham, and we've just heard about this incredible spiritual moment where, you know, you've been drinking, you've been, you know, rambling, right? You've been traveling the world, traveling America, meeting all different types of people. And you have an experience that's similar to, you know, what I had when I was in my drug addiction, what many people mm-hmm. talk about, which is never seeing the future, mm-hmm. right? Being like, I'm going to die at 30, yeah. right? Or like being like, you know, 25 is old. Once you hit 25, mm-hmm. it's pretty much just downhill from there. Mm-hmm. And you told this story about how you got to 30 and you, you didn't die. And you realized you had to make a change. You had to get into AA and you had to connect more with your spirituality. So I want to talk about, I want to fast forward you a little bit to the topic of the podcast, which you want to talk about your relapse, mm-hmm. right? So you have the spiritual moment and imagine you're doing pretty well, right? You're putting your life together. What I'm interested in hearing is when does that fall apart? Tell me about the relapse that you have. Okay. Yeah, that is a shorter and meatier part of the story because um, AA is certainly one way to sober up. And Alcoholics Anonymous is a spiritual path. Um, Not everybody knows that or sees it as that. But plugging into that path gave me a structure with in which I could experience um, and explore the realms of my own heart as valid, okay? Not where I fit into the dominant culture or where I didn't or, you know, getting a career goal and things like that. I could really explore my own heart, my dreams, and begin to get a sense of spiritual development, which sounds so profound and highfalutin, but 
I got to tell you, um, spirituality really is just plugging into something bigger than my picture of myself. You know, that's the heart of the whole thing. So um, I did start racking up silver days. That, of course, changed my person. And I was married. We had bought a house. And I started looking for a sustainable lifestyle, you know, um, getting a job that actually paid the bills for longer than a month, right, or a night. Um, so developing a career, putting a lot into my marriage. Um, and things on the outside were really looking good. They're pretty good on the inside, too. For the first time, I believed that I was plugging into society and an established path, and it was um, helping me develop as a person and as a spiritual being. So things got much better on the outside, but I made a couple of important mistakes that... Uh, the AA Big Book talks about, I guess I just missed those pages, or, you know, this is a very common thing. Relapse is common in recovery. Mm -hmm. My particular kind of relapse was what made it my crash and burn. Because now, for the first time in my life, I'm doing everything right. And circumstances are getting better, okay? But inside... I realized that my first marriage was incredibly toxic. Um, we had gone from devoting ourselves to a vision of a different kind of life to repeating the lifestyle of our parents and their parents. And nothing against them, but this has been a toxic culture for a long time, right? And those family roles are strong. You know, the genetic impulse to repeat those roles and repeat that script is just very strong. And that's what was happening in my personal life. And our spirits need to be fed. Yeah. I'm using this language because mind, body, heart, and spirit is, has become familiar language for our culture, Right. And any living being feeds other living beings and needs to be fed by the world. Human beings are like that on all four levels. So I got a respectable job for a huge corporation that looked like it was my career plan, right? This is, I knew I wasn't going to be driving a tow truck when I was 60. Right. <laughs> um, so it turned out that I was becoming a chill for the corporate mind. And because I thought I was doing everything right, I didn't realize that my spirit wasn't getting fed. And even though I thought my spiritual vision was different than my job vision. 
after I relapsed, one of those old guys in AA that wait for you to fall off the wagon and then they impart the wisdom to you. They right? love doing that, don't uh, they? They do. They, <laughs> they really uh, love it. You know, that's how they have their fun. Yeah. That's cool. They were probably trying to tell me this shit before and I just didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. Whatever you turn all your attention and energy to, that's your God. Beliefs are one thing, practice is another. Totally. And I got to a place where I could fix my failing marriage because I still loved her and we had a child on the way and we were making it in the world, right? So things felt horribly wrong, but I can fix this. And the corporation was turning the screws, you know, more work, authenticity didn't matter, um, less pay. And I thought, no, I have principles to live by now. I can make this an honest Mm -hmm. job, right? So I experienced um, mental breakdown and spiritual starvation. I had gotten myself into an impossible situation that wasn't supposed to be an impossible situation. This was supposed to be the good life. And I was dying. Right. You're supposed to have this positive reward, right? For getting sober, for beating the demon. Right. And what you get is just drudgery. Yeah. Right. I think I talk about it as quiet desperation, mm-hmm. you know, and it happens so much. It happened for me since like it happened for you. It happens for so much people that we work with where mm-hmm. they get sober and it's going to make their life better. Right. But really now they're just aware of all the problems that they were covering with their <laughs> substance use. Yeah. And it, in some ways it gets worse because it's more real. Instead of just focusing on not drinking. Now it's like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, I gotta look at my marriage. I gotta look at my job. Mm-hmm. I gotta look at my physical health. Like, I gotta look at my anxiety or my depression. Yeah. All that stuff that you, you were, like you said earlier, you were legitimately self-medicating. Yeah. I'd imagine all that came back. Well, it did. And I got to experience the delicious dilemma that according to the book and according to the culture and according to everybody else's opinion, I was doing it right, but I was crashing on the inside because um, my first marriage was toxic and abusive, but there was no language for emotional abuse or mental abuse. And I was the guy. I'm not the one that gets abused, right? That's That's just stupid talk. That's just embarrassing. You're just being a victim. You're just whining. Yes. Right? Um, So I got to a place where um, I was flirting with suicide because here was the vision. It was coming through, and I was going to last, right? So following the advice of another colorful old guy in AA, I decided that instead of blowing my brains out, I would drink first to see if that shifted something, to allow myself to go back to the thing that had worked for a while, right? Um, As any of you who have experience with addiction know, this turned out to be a terrible plan. (laughs) Really bad advice. It's... uh, Seemed like a good idea in the desperation of the moment, but um, alcoholism and addiction really is terminal and progressive. And 
within two fun-filled weeks, um, I didn't get any moment of peace or release or anything like that. What I got back was the compulsion. And so in two fun-filled weeks, I had drank myself to the edge of death and got carried into detox by some of my former partners in crime. You know, even your wild and crazy buddies can see it when you're on your way down. So I got carried into detox with a point for something blood alcohol content. Um, I wasn't even supposed to be alive medically at that point. But sometimes all it takes is buying some time for the holy to step in. Okay. So I'm in detox. All my systems are crashing. And I entered a state that people describe in different ways, you know, um, a near-death experience. Mm-hmm because they can't call it a death experience, but you're still alive, right? Technically. Well, yeah. Um, I entered a state in between worlds where, long story short, I was shown a picture of my life up to that point, and not just the events that went into a resume or a tax filing but what my life had really been like. Um, The natural world that made up my being. The, um, The spiritual and heart connections I had made with extraordinary people who didn't look like extraordinary people to the rest of the world. I got a vision of the beauty of this world and my life. And that's what broke me through. You know, here's a vision that anybody can tap into because we're living it. Mm -hmm. We're just taught to ignore it. So I lived through that night and I swore that I would never again crash out my life or treat it like it was something I didn't want. Yeah, you could take ownership of it, right? And learn mm-hmm. to love yourself and love your life. And connect, stay connected to that vision of beauty and life and be less dominated by all the human stuff. Because as it turns out, the natural world and the realm of spirit are just fine all the time. Beautiful, reading life. <laughs> you know, as, as you're talking, I'm reflecting. I was actually sharing this with my men's group last week. Ah where I've had a similar experience. It happens when I do my winter retreats or when I'm, you know, really disconnected from, um, I think you'd call it the syndrome, right? Yeah. Like disconnected from just like the urban world of humans and I'm mm-hmm. in a more natural setting. Mm-hmm. And I really get this, you know, experience of the preciousness of life, yeah. right? Of how limited it is knowing that we're going to die, how fragile it is and how incredibly just delicate and um, interconnected yeah. everything is. And I wish I could experience that more. I guess, you know, grasping pie isn't helpful, but it's good to get doses of that. Yeah. To remember how complicated and how beautiful, right. And how like fine everything is. Yeah. It sounds like you had that moment. And as it turns out, a spiritual practice is getting that moment 
so that you can feel it, so that it's a true referential experience. That's your gauge and guide. And then finding out how to weave that in to the flow of your daily life. Not all the time, because that's what we wanted to do with drugs and alcohol. I want to be high all the time, right? But um, three-minute chunks, five-minute chunks, an hour. How do you start your morning? How do you end your day? So that you weave that energy and that awareness into your daily life. Yeah, so we'll talk a lot more about that in our next segment. Right. I think that'll be a great topic to, to thread on. Uh, for those of you out there, if you want to hear more from Randy, if you want to send him a message, um, if you want to uh, have him back on the podcast, please send us an email at podcast at mark-azu.com. I'll be sending everything straight to you, um, and you can respond with people's uh, comments and feedback. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So tune in. Uh, we'll talk to you on the other side of the commercial break. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are the experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azoulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azoulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, .teachable.com. For teens, by teens, and about teens, tune into the uncensored and unedited discussions with young adults on Express Yourself every Sunday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Smart, tenacious teen hosts and reporters from around the country speak up and speak out. Express Yourself. Visit the website for the show to find out more at expressyourselfteenradio.com and check out the show on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Sunday. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with a replay of the show Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at Voice America TRN or twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN. You 
are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to our show. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. And we ended the last segment on a really incredible point about spirituality, interconnectedness, the preciousness of life, and just the vastness of, I think, what you describe as the holy. And I think we should spend this segment talking about that. You know, you, from your very um, eclectic, diverse, holistic perspective, you've done a lot of spiritual study. You know, for me, I've mainly done Buddhism through my grad school experience and, and retreat experiences. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it's a big question, I guess, but, you know, what defines a spiritual practice or maybe more, more pointedly, if there's somebody listening that wants to start, that is curious about or inspired by what you're talking about, where would be a great place for them to start investigating the holy and start connecting with reality? Yeah, that is a great place to start. It's probably, um, one of the two main points that I hope somebody gets out of this talk. Um, The first aspect of this is talking to the people who either don't believe that there's a spiritual path at all because they've never encountered something they could feel or that even grabbed them. Um, The people who don't believe they know how to pray or they're looking for something besides the templates set down with branded religion. Okay. The thing that changed me about that experience in detox was I could feel it. Okay. I didn't have to validate that to any other human being. Um, I didn't have to justify it to anybody else. I didn't even have to explain it to anybody else. I came out of that experience with, wow, I've been missing a lot, but it's there, right? Um, I'm not sure I ever had an appreciation of how cool it is just to be alive, okay? Um, So, How does somebody start? Find something that you personally really love. Okay. And there are no qualifications for this. Okay. That's the branding of a spiritual practice. Well, if you use this language and worship these things, then you're a, you know, a Jainist. You're right. A Taoist. You're, um, a rock and roll lead singer. Um, So find something that you love and can feel enough so that you don't have to justify your attachment to that experience to anybody else. And start figuring out how you can feed that experience. This can be your cat, this can be your garden, This can be your car, okay? The secret is you love this and you're unapologetic about it. 
Yeah. Um, and the second thing is to recognize where in your life you're feeding life. You're feeding that experience of love. Feeding life is how we get connected to life. And the plus from that is once we connect to life, to a relationship with the holy, to, I mean, anything, which sounds vague, but if you remember two principles, everything is alive, alive, aware, sentient, and responsive. And anything that was once alive is still alive, okay, and responsive and sentient. So how do I feed the trees outside my window? If I really love my car, and I don't want to tell anybody that, but, you know, Randy Bonham said that was a spiritual experience, damn it. So <laughs> how do I feed my car? Yeah. You're probably already doing it, you know. I'll bet a lot of you, at least guys, um, do talk to their cars. Lots of people talk to their plants. Practically everybody talks to their pets, right? Um, many people talk to their TV or at least yell at them. So recognize where you're feeding some aspect of life and then open yourself up to be fed by the return that comes in from that, okay? Um, the guy with the car. Nothing is better than summertime and going for a cruise, especially if it's an event, you know, where lots of other people are cruising with their cars. Mm -hmm. That is a valid spiritual experience, okay? You're connecting to life and you're being fed by the love of that. If you've got anything like that that you already do, um, at my house, especially involving my sweetheart, hi baby, hope you figured out the link. I hope you're listening. Um, we have a home and a marriage that's based on the absolute feeding of life and love and each other since both of us came from a past of desolation and abuse and failure. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really kind of a miracle that we came together. Uh, we both sometimes feel that spirit took a hell of a long time to bring us together. Could have cut that <laughs> sped up a bit. Could have sped that up a bit. But um, in our lifestyle, we're really big on things like coffee and bed. Okay. We can take a half an hour to actually get up and enter the world in the morning. And downloading about our day at the end of the day, whenever we both finally arrive home, we talk to each other about our day. You know, how did it feel? What got to you? What, you know, um, what were the juicy parts? What, pe what uh, people you encountered? All of that. We try and make 
everything that we do part of a spiritual practice by appreciating it. Okay. And that's not vague. If you've ever lived in a cold apartment, you can come to love the sound of your forced air furnace firing up, right? Um, if you have windows where you live, try looking out of them sometime. What's actually out there? You know? um, if you have kids and you pause in the morning before you leave the house to kiss them on top of their heads and really look in their eyes and tell them you love them. You already have a spiritual practice going. It's the awareness of that and letting yourself be fed by that. That's the trick to the whole thing. And you'll know you're really doing it because you will be able to feel it. Um, in my psychotherapy practice, yeah, addiction is one of my specialties, but I'm starting to say actually recovery is one of my specialties because um, anybody can stop using substances. You know, somebody locks you in their basement for 30 days. Oh, you got 30 days of sobriety. But what do you do next year? You now, what's, what's your five-year vision? And that will always come down to how can I feed life so that I can be connected to life? and beauty and how can I open myself so that I can be fed? Yeah, I really like what you're talking about because very simple, right? It's always available. Mm. And this idea of connection and letting yourself be nourished and fed, which I think is wonderful, mm -hmm. you know? And it goes back to, you know, it's the way that I practice in psychoanalysis, this idea of noticing resistance and noticing what yeah. gets in the way. Mm -hmm. And we don't have time to go into all that, but I think it's really telling and maybe the listeners at home know this of how many walls we build between ourselves and our present moment mm -hmm. or ourselves and our kids or mm -hmm. ourselves in our car yeah, or ourselves in the windows outside. Like that was really telling of just, you know, I've been there and, and people I've talked to have been there. We're all so dissociated. We're also disconnected from what's actually happening. And it sounds like through a lot of work and practice and um, discipline, you found a way to try to connect to everything, mm -hmm. right? To all the beings around you, to your reality as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you remind me of a moment that uh, I had during a vision quest, which again, Sounds like such a profound thing, right? And it is. And at the same time, it's also taking yourself far away from everybody else, picking a spot in nature, sitting there and staying there for as long as you committed to. Yeah, very simple. Right. Yeah. You know, um, no distractions, no food, no water. If it's the rainy season, maybe you get a tarp. But the whole thing is just to sit in nature and open yourself up and don't leave until your committed time is up. And so I had an experience, one of my early ones where I could suddenly feel how much a part of nature I really was, you know, 
I wasn't a human being separate from nature, sitting on nature in the middle of nature. That the trees were breathing and I was breathing and I was, you know, it's just a part of it all. And I went, that felt really good. And then I come back to civilization and people go, oh, that's the ultimate spiritual experience. And da, 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 right? Um, so when you put your feet on this path, realize that one thing you're doing is developing your capacity with your practice, your capacity for love, for connection, for being fed, for joy, okay? And let it happen. And the cool thing about that is the experience of there is something there and it is happening. Well, Randy, as we're wrapping up here, can you let the listeners know where they can find you if they want to contact you? Oh, yes. Um, actually, if you just Google Randy Bonham, um, I'll come up in a variety of ways because I've got a musical uh, website. I've even got a song on iTunes. But um, Randy Bonham Therapy is my website, which will be much fancier soon to come. And I'm on the Psychology Today website. Um, just Google me and follow the trail. And please feel free to email me, but I've got my phone number there. You know, be bold. Give me a call. Leave your number and I'll call you back. Well, great. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll see you next week on From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azale for From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll have another edition of the program then. Meet triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters the same. Until next time. Thank you.